All right, good morning, everyone. Jesus Christ is not dead, for he has risen. It has been two weeks since we celebrated Easter Sunday. Now, I don't know about you, but I always love Easter Sunday in the church. Easter Sunday is just a, a great day of celebration. We do a lot of preparation for that day. We make sure everything is just right. And when we all come together, there's just an excitement in this place. And then Monday comes along. Monday, we go back to work. Kids go back to school. And things kind of go back to normal. But we come in the next week and there's still a little bit of the uh, hangover excitement, if you would, that carries on into the next week. Not quite as good as it was on Easter Sunday, but we come in, we're still excited and things are good. We're second week past uh, Easter Sunday and I get up and I make the same statement I did on Easter Sunday. And when I said it on Easter Sunday, people were like, yes, Jesus Christ has risen. He is alive. And this morning it's like, amen. Am I kidding? You saw it. So let's try it again. Jesus Christ is not dead. He has risen. So it's kind of amazing. I've seen this over 30 years of ministry experience. It happens in my life. We get going through life. We go back uh, to the same way things were. Easter Sunday, great celebration, but then life starts going on as normal. Now, I understand this. The resurrection of Christ is truly an extraordinary event. And it is a great time to celebrate. You think about Easter Sunday again. There's people that come to church that sometimes that's the only time out of the year they come to church. There are some people that come to church that Sunday that don't even know if they believe in Christ or not. But they like coming that week because there's such excitement and they enjoy it. But then if they come back another week or two, they're like, hmm, is this the same place? Where's the excitement of Easter? Last week, uh, Shane looked at Doubting Thomas, and remember the disciples, they're going along through their life the week after Christmas, or Christmas, Easter, the week after Easter, they're going along, and there's the excitement of the risen Christ, but you had Thomas, it's like, I'm still not sure. I need to see more proof. And there's a world around us that wants to see more proof that Jesus Christ truly is who he said he was and that he truly is alive. But I, I wonder sometimes in our life, even in our churches, do they see that in us? Do they see the hope that we say that we have on Easter? Does it continue on throughout the rest of the year? Again, Easter, uh, the resurrection of Christ is an extraordinary event and it's easy for us to embrace the thought that everyday life pales in comparison to the resurrection of Jesus, right? I, there's truth in that, right? Our, our life every day pales in great comparison to the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And so in our lives, we may have some good high days, but I would say most of our life is just mundane and ordinary. Not extraordinary, just ordinary. Anybody agree with that statement? And so it's easy for us to, to kind of fall into this routine. Well, we had Easter, but now what? What's next? Where do we go from here? By the way, I think the disciples had that same thought after the Resurrection Sunday when they were celebrating 
Christ and his resurrection. So we see this in John chapter 21. That's not where we're going to look, but I'll tell you the story. The disciples have seen the risen Christ. Thomas has now touched his wounds. He, he believes that Jesus Christ has truly risen from the dead, and they're gathered around. And it's been probably a few days since they have seen Jesus. They may be wondering, what's next? Where's Jesus been? And he hasn't shown up. And so you have Peter. you got to love Peter, right? So Peter's getting a little bit antsy. And Peter's like, I don't know what to do next. And if Jesus isn't going to be here to tell me what to do next, then I'm just going to go back to what I know to do, and I'm going fishing. Fishing is what he had done. Fishing is what he knew. That was his old life, and I don't know where to go from here, so I'm going to go back and do what's familiar to me, and I'm going to go fishing. Now, he's telling the other disciples this, and the other disciples... By the way, they respond the way everyone should respond if someone says, I'm going fishing. They all say, well, well, I'm going too. Wait for me. And so they all go out into the boat, and they're fishing all night long. And they don't catch a thing. Sounds like some of my fishing trips. And when you, they don't catch anything. And there's a man over on the shore that yells out, on, out at them and says, hey, throw your net on the other side of the boat and see what happens. Now, these guys are professional fishermen, right? And so if I'm out there, be like, who's this guy? What does he know? But they do what he says. Well, why not try? We haven't caught anything all night. Let's throw the net on the other side of the boat. And Scripture tells us that they caught more fish in that net than what they could pull in. And it was at that moment that they realized, this isn't some ordinary guy that's over here on the shore. This is Jesus Christ, and he's telling us what to do. And Peter bails out of the boat, runs over to see Jesus. And the other guys, they get over there. And this is what's so cool when you read that story. And it's easy for us to just kind of look over. But they have breakfast on the beach with Jesus. Not just ordinary Jesus, but extraordinary Jesus who has now conquered death in the grave. Right? And, and they're having breakfast with him. And he's explaining things. That's when Peter receives his forgiveness and is moving on. And things began to change. And what I love about that story when you look through it is it is a great reminder to us that this resurrected Christ has not left us but is still with us. Even though at times we may not see his presence, we may not feel his presence, he is still alive. He is still resurrected he is no longer in the tomb he is living today and he is there with us and for us so every day should be an easter type celebration in our life because we don't serve a dead savior we serve a risen savior how does that carry on in our life well i think we have to answer the question of where do we go from here so easter has happened where do we go from here what's next what does this mean for us in our everyday life? Where do we go and what do we do? Well, look with me, if you would, at Matthew chapter 28. And as soon as we read Matthew chapter 28, then we're going to look over at Acts chapter 1. Jesus doesn't leave the disciples wondering very long what's next. And we don't have to wonder either. So in Matthew chapter 28, beginning verse 18, it says, Then Jesus came and told his disciples... I have been given all authority in heaven and on earth. Therefore, go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, 
Teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I have given you and be sure of this, that I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Matthew shares in just a few short words that Jesus hands down a mission to his followers. He hands down marching orders to his followers. And Jesus starts out by saying, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. And by the way, this authority was proven, it was backed up by his resurrection, right? If he had not been resurrected from the grave, we might question that. But there is no question. Jesus on earth for 40 days after he's been resurrected, meeting with his disciples, he's in that time period, and he says, all authority has been given to me. Now, I'm giving you this authority. I want you to go out into the world. And I want you to be my witnesses. This thing that I have started, I'm going to use you to carry on. And I'm giving you the authority to go out and do it. Now turn with me, if you would, over to Acts chapter 1. That was Matthew's account. And over in Acts chapter 1, we get Luke's account of what appears to be the same conversation. But Luke takes that account into a little bit more detail that helps us to know exactly what Jesus is saying and exactly what Jesus wants. So in Acts chapter 1, beginning in verse 1, he says, In my first book, I told you, Theopolis, about everything Jesus began to do and teach until the day he was taken up to heaven, after giving his chosen apostles further instructions through the Holy Spirit. During the 40 days after he suffered and died, he appeared to the apostles from time to time, and he proved to them in many ways that he was actually alive. And he talked to them about the kingdom of God. Once, when he was eating with them, he commanded them, Do not leave Jerusalem until the Father sends you the gift he promised. As I told you before, John baptized with water, but in just a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. So when the apostles were with Jesus, they kept asking him, Lord, has the time come for you to free Israel and restore our kingdom? And he replied, the Father alone has the authority to set those dates and times, and they are not for you to know. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses, telling people about me everywhere in Jerusalem, throughout Judea, in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. After saying this, he was taken up into a cloud while they were watching, and they could no longer see him. As they strained to see him rising into the heaven, two white-robed men suddenly stood among them, men of Galilee... They said, why are you standing here staring into heaven? Jesus has been taken from you into heaven, but someday he will return from heaven in the same way that you saw him go. Now, we have this account that Luke is telling us of what happened as Jesus is telling them, you're going to go into all of the world. You're going to be my witnesses. As soon as he tells them, then he ascends up into heaven. And I love that story because they're just sitting there going, Wow, that was cool. And they keep staring. And two white-robed men, which, by the way, is a, just another term for a couple of angels, are now standing there with them, going, why are you staring up into heaven? Was, Did you not see that? That was cool. And they said, this same Jesus is coming back the same way he went. And it's like, in the meantime, now there's stuff for you to do. 
There's something that you need to be taking a part of. You need to get to work. But I love what it says in Matthew. Matthew says that you are to go. But Luke says here that we're told that before we go, we need to wait. And there's a reason that they need to wait. But when we think this morning about the question, where do we go from here? We look at these two verses and we see very clearly that we are called to live on mission with Jesus Christ. What he told the disciples in that day carries on to the disciples of our day. If we are followers of Christ, we have a mission to do. We have a task to do. And that is to join Jesus Christ on mission with him. You will go into all the world making disciples, teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. Now, I love that. He says, teaching them everything I've commanded. There's a lot of commands, right? It's like, how do we know? How can we teach them all the commands? Well, remember when Jesus was asked, what is the greatest commandment? What was his response? The greatest commandment is this. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. That's not hard, is it? Certainly we can remember that. So if we want to teach the world everything that Jesus commanded, if we remember those two things, everything else falls into place right under that. And Jesus says, here's your task. Here's your mission. I want you to be on mission with me, teaching everyone about me, teaching them to love God first and to love others as themselves. Now, this is a very straightforward plan that has been given to all followers of Jesus Christ. And the reason that I say that we are on mission with Jesus is because of the powerful words that he gave in the verse we saw in Matthew in verse 20, where he says, I am with you always. I don't know about you, but that's encouraging words to me. Jesus is with us always. Like, Well, he ascended into heaven. He is still with us. And those disciples that are like, hey, I don't know what to do next. I don't know where we go. I don't even know where Jesus is right now. So I'm going to go fishing. And they realize on that fishing trip that Jesus is still there. And we can understand, we can know, we can have that promise, that assurance that the things that we're called to do in this world today, that Jesus Christ has not left us, but he is still with us even until the very end of the age it has been said that the average church member in their lifetime will hear over 4,000 sermons they will sing over 20,000 songs but they will only share Christ with five people I wonder how that makes you feel when you hear that We've been given a mission, and we're on mission with Jesus, who is with us. How are we doing? When I hear statements like that, I have to sit back and go, maybe we're not doing so well. Maybe we're not doing like we should be doing. When we sit back and we hear over 4,000 sermons, and by the way, I've been in church with some of those people that heard those 4,000 sermons and still wanted a bunch more. We need more. We need more. No, we've got what we need to go into the world, to tell the world that we serve a risen Savior. And I know that because he's living in my heart and he's made a difference in my life. But we want more. We want to soak it in. Now, I don't minimize the gathering together of believers. We should do that. As a matter of fact, Scripture says don't forsake that. 
But when we come together, there ought to be an overflow, a celebration that, yes, we still serve a risen Savior. And let me tell you how he's working in my life and how he's changing lives of people in the world because we are on mission with him. That's the call. That's the challenge to each one of us. To live on mission with Jesus Christ. Now, when we think about living on mission with Jesus, there are some misunderstandings about that call that I think we need to take a moment to address. The first misunderstanding is this. We have the understanding that in order to be all that Jesus wants us to be in our lives, and in order for us to live on mission with him, then I need to make Jesus the number one priority of my life. Matter of fact, let me ask you a question. How many of you have heard in your life that Jesus needs to be the number one priority in your life, right? I, unfortunately, I have used those words. I've probably stood up here and said that, that Jesus needs to be the number one priority in your life. And words matter, right? People hear the words that we say and words matter. How many of you write out a priority list that you try to follow? Anybody? few of you, some very organized people, they like to have their priority list. They, they make their list for each day. And on that priority list, we're going to put first thing in the morning, get out of bed and spend time with Jesus, read the Bible, and then we'll start our day. And for some people, they even have on that priority list uh, that when it's time to go to bed, spend time with Jesus, read the Bible, go to bed, help me sleep better at night. And so we have that priority list and then everything falls in between those two. Some people make a week-long priority list. So some people fly by the seat of their pants and whatever happens, happens. Any, any of you? Uh, and that's the way I like to live. It's more exciting that way. I don't need a priority list. We'll keep going. Now, don't get me wrong. There's nothing wrong with having a priority list that puts Jesus first thing in the morning. It's a good reminder to us, right? Jesus, first thing. Read the Bible, first thing. Have that quiet time, first thing. It's a great way to start the day. So that's not a problem. But can I just let you know this? Jesus wants to be a whole lot more to you than just something that is on a priority list. He wants to be so much more. Matter of fact, he wants to be the very center of our life. And that thing which is the very center of our life doesn't have to be on a priority list because it is our priority, right? For example, I don't have to put on a priority list to spend time with my wife. I don't have to do that. That's just going to be natural. I'm going to make sure that that happens in my life. And when Jesus is the center of our life, he doesn't have to be on that priority list. He is that priority list. So I'll give you a little picture here in your mind if you can. Take a look at an old wagon wheel on an old wagon. If you have that old wagon wheel, in the very center of that wagon wheel you have the hub. And coming out of the hub are the spokes. And each one of those spokes has a priority on that wheel, and the spokes connect to the rim. And when the spokes are connected to the rim, and they're connected to the hub, then the wheel is able to function as the wheel was designed to function. You following me? So when Jesus Christ is the hub of our life, the center of our life, then the spokes would represent all the other things that we do in life. The things that we, we go to work, we raise our family, all the different things that we do, each one of those spokes represents that. 
And as long as that spoke is connected to the hub, it is able to connect to the rim so that our life can now function as God designed it to function and it functions properly. But what happens if we begin to remove those spokes from the hub? Well, the spokes just kind of lay around and they're not able to do what they were designed to do, which is to hold the rim. So now the rim does not function correctly. So now we've got a problem with the wheel. And we sit there and we wonder why we have so many problems with our life because we don't let the spokes connect to the hub. We try to let the spokes do their own thing, which they were never designed to do their own thing. And it creates all kinds of issues in our life. But when Jesus is the center and everything else comes off that center, things fall into place like they're supposed to fall into place. Now, does that mean we don't have problems in life? Absolutely not. Does that mean that we don't go over rough roads? No. But that wagon wheel goes over rough roads and it holds together because everything is connected like it's supposed to. And that means when we go through horrible times in life, our life still holds together because we are connected to the hub like we're supposed to be connected to the hub. Jesus is not just a priority in our life. He is the hub of our life, the center of our life. So get that misunderstanding out of your life that Jesus just needs to be on our priority list somewhere. No, he is the priority list and everything else will fall into place. The second misunderstanding is that living on mission with Jesus means that I have to go places that I don't want to go. I, I hear it all the time. I've had it in my life, man. If I follow Jesus, he's going to send me to some place that I hate and I don't want to go. I don't want to be there. I remember a song growing up that somebody sang, I don't know who it was, Lord, I'll serve you anywhere, just don't send me to Africa. And I remember singing that song because I was like, God, I'll, I'll serve you anywhere as long as we stay right here. Don't send me to Africa. Well, God sent me to Africa. It was a great experience. I never wanted to go till I went, but I knew when I was supposed to go. And by the way, it was only for 10 days. So that's a whole lot different than people that are serving there as missionaries. But here's what I figured out in my life. When you read this, he says, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, then in the other parts of the world. Jerusalem is where they were living. And for the majority of the followers of Christ, all he's asking us to do is to live on mission with him right where we are. We don't have to worry about where he's going to send us. We have to worry about, are we doing what he wants us to do right now? And I can tell you the places that God has sent me has been places I never dreamed of. Places I never thought of. But before I went, he had already placed that desire in my heart to go. And if he doesn't place that desire in your heart to go, he's probably just wanting you to be faithful right where you are. Now we can do that, right? We don't have to get passports to serve him right where we are. We don't have to get shots like you do if you go someplace. We can serve him right where we are. We can be faithful right where we are today. You know what that means? We are to be faithful in our family. We are to be faithful in our jobs. We're to be faithful in our neighborhood. Faithful to what? Faithful to continue the mission that God has laid out for us. And that is to be his witnesses everywhere that we go. How well are we doing in that task? So don't worry about where he may be sending you. Worry about what he's doing right where you're at. And then the third misunderstanding is that I have to have great Bible knowledge to be on mission with Jesus. 
I hear it all the time. I don't engage in conversation with other people about Jesus because I don't know Scripture well enough. Let me remind you that being on on mission with Jesus, there's only one thing that you need to know, and that is Jesus. You don't have to worry about what you don't know. Worry about what you do know. And if you know Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, then you have a story to tell. You have a story to tell of how He has changed your life. By the way, He has brought you from death into life. Because Scripture tells us that apart from Jesus, we are dead in our transgressions and sins. But when we place our faith and trust in Jesus Christ, He now makes us alive in Him. So we have gone from death to life. And nobody can refute your story. If you're a follower of Christ, you have a personal story to tell. And there's a world out there that needs to hear that story. And I love this because the disciples that Jesus chose, they had never been to Bible college. They knew how to fish. They didn't know how to quote scripture. But as you continue to read through the book of Acts, you see that these uneducated, unlearned men turned their world upside down for Jesus Christ. Why? Because they went around telling, saying, let me tell you what has happened to me. Let me tell you about this man. And I love how they do it. They say, let me tell you about this man that you crucified. The one you put on the cross. The one that you have denied. Let me tell you my story about him. You have a story to tell. You don't have to have all the knowledge. Now, that doesn't mean that we don't need to study our Bible and learn Scripture. Matter of fact, we're told to hide Scripture in our hearts so that we may not sin against Him. It is important for us to know God's Word, but don't let that be an excuse not to fulfill the mission that He has called us to, because all we need to know is Jesus. And if we know Jesus, we can change our world for Him. We've been called to live on mission with Him. Secondly, this morning, we've been given the power to live on mission with Jesus. At the end of Matthew, the disciples are told to go, but again, in Acts 4.1, they're told to wait. To wait on what? To wait on the power that's going to come. You see, this mission that Jesus was calling the disciples to and that He calls us to is a mission that is much bigger than we are. And we need help in fulfilling this mission. And the help is the Holy Spirit that is to come. The reason that Jesus told them to wait, he said, you need to wait on the promise. And the promise is the Holy Spirit. And so they're waiting till the day of Pentecost when the Holy Spirit comes. But the good news for us today is that we don't have to wait. That when we give our lives to Jesus Christ, when we become a follower of Christ, it is at that moment that a Spirit of God begins to live in us. And he gives us the power to do what God has called us to do. Now, I love this because I can tell you there have been times in my life where I knew I needed to engage in conversation with someone about Christ. And I'm sitting there and I don't know. I don't know if I've got the words to say. I don't know even where to start. And then the moment I open my mouth, it's like the Spirit begins to speak through me. And sometimes people ask a question, and I'm like, my memory's not near what it used to be. If you know me very well, you know that. But things that I once knew, I can't remember if I even knew them before. And so I get engaged in conversation, then all of a sudden I'm going, wow, God was able to bring things out that I forgot that I even knew. And that is the Spirit of God that works in us. It is His power that works through us. So when he says, I want you to live on mission with me, he doesn't say, I'm going to send you out there all alone without any help. 
I am giving you a helper, and the helper is the Holy Spirit of God that now lives in us. If you're a follower of Christ today, the Spirit of God lives in you. Romans 8, 9 says, You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit. If, in fact, the Spirit of God dwells in you, anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to Him. So what he's saying there is if you are a follower of Christ, you have the Spirit of God in you. If the Spirit of God's not in you, then you're not a follower of Christ. In 1 Corinthians 3.16, he says, Do you not know that you are God's temple and that God's Spirit dwells in you? You have the Spirit of God if you are in Christ. And you have the power to do everything that God calls us to do. The Bible says God is working in you. Giving you the desire and the power to do what pleases Him in Philippians 2.13. And the third thing is this. We need to live out this mission with urgency. As you continue to read through the book of Acts and the following books of the New Testament, you will see that the followers of Christ in the early days were living out this mission with urgency. They were quick to tell people about Christ. They, they were bold in their witness for Christ. And they did this with urgency. What was the urgency? Because they knew that Christ was coming back again. Remember what we read a few moments ago. They're staring up into the heavens. The two men show up and they say, oh, why are you staring up into heaven? Don't you know that Jesus Christ is coming back? I got great news for us, church. Christ is coming back again. Now, we don't know when. We don't know when that time will come, but we know that it's got to be getting close. I have conversations almost daily with people that go, man, the return of Christ has to be soon. When you look at the way our world is going, but how did they know for sure that Jesus Christ was coming again? Well, in John, the 14th chapter, we see that Jesus is having a meeting with his disciples and he's telling them that I've got to go away. And I'm going to go away. And the reason I'm going away is because I'm going to go and I'm going to prepare a place for you. And then he goes on to say that not only am I going to prepare this place, but I'm going to come again and I will receive you unto myself. So that that place that I'm preparing, that place that I'm at, you will be able to be with me. Jesus says, I'm going away, but I'm coming back. And I'm going to come back to receive you unto myself. 1 Thessalonians 4.16 says, For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a commanding shout, with the voice of the archangel, with the trumpet call of God. That had been a great time for the train horn to go off, by the way. (laughs) Jesus Christ is coming again. He says, I will come again. And it says in that passage that those that have died in Christ will come up out of their graves. And those of us that remain that are still alive, will be caught up in the air to meet them in the clouds. And we will be with the Lord forever. Jesus Christ is coming again. And what a wonderful day that is going to be. And we don't know if it's going to be today, if it's going to be tomorrow. We don't know if it's going to be five years. But what we do know is we need to live our lives today like Jesus Christ is coming today. And we need to continue to build the church like he's not coming back for a thousand years. And that's what we see in the life of the disciples. But they were convinced Jesus Christ is coming back and he is coming back soon. And we need to work the mission given to us because Jesus Christ is coming soon. In Mark chapter 13, 
The whole chapter, Jesus tells what the days will be like before his return. And I want to tell you, you need to go home and read it because it's incredible because it is a picture of the way that our days are today. And when you read Mark 13 and you see what is happening, if it doesn't give you an urgency that Jesus Christ is coming soon and I need to make sure that my family knows Jesus, I need to make sure that my neighbors know Jesus, I need to make sure that my coworkers know Jesus because Jesus Christ is coming soon. And we need to live our lives with that kind of urgency. You say, well, the disciples lived that urgency well over 2,000 years ago, and some of them thought Jesus was coming in their day, and Jesus didn't come, so they had actually had plenty of time. Well, let me tell you this. We are 2,000 years closer to the return of Jesus Christ than they were, and if it was important for them to live with urgency, how much more important should it be for us to live with urgency? To carry out this mission that Jesus Christ, hey, listen, this isn't a job for us to do. This is a privilege for us to partner with him, to join in in the greatest mission of all times, to watch how our risen Savior can still change lives today. What a privilege we have. How well are we doing? I i got great news for us today. We may look at that, and i, I got to tell you, sometimes I'll look at that and go, man, I'm not doing real well. Today's a brand new day. It doesn't matter about yesterday. It doesn't matter about 10 years ago. It matters about today. And today is a brand new start. And today needs Jesus as much or more than they ever have. And I believe that God has called each one of us for a time such as this, to be his witness everywhere we go, everything that we do. Listen, I love this because it says that we are to go and tell the world about Jesus. We live in a world that says everything in your life is about you. No, everything in our life is about Jesus. Because without him, we're nothing. Without him, there is no hope. But with him, there is great hope. And the world needs to see that hope today. And we've been called to take that hope into the world. So a couple questions as we close. Number one, do you have the hope of Jesus in your life? We say it all the time. The greatest decision you can ever make in your life is placing your faith and trust in Jesus Christ. And I say this. If he can change my life, he can change your life. If he can save me, he can save you. And if you don't know him, open up your life to him and watch what he does through you. And today, if you know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, live your life with urgency on this wonderful mission that he has called us to join him in. Let's pray together. Father, I thank you today for your word. I thank you for the challenge that comes through your word. Thank you for the hope that comes through your word. God, I thank you for the reminder that we have that just because we may not see you every day, we may not feel you every day, that your presence is with us, even to the very end. God, we thank you today that you allow us to join you in the work that you started and that is being carried on even to this day. 
And God, we understand today, I hope each one of us, the urgency that we have to share with others the hope that they can have in you as well. God, I pray right now if there's someone here that doesn't know you as their personal Lord and Savior, that right now your spirit would just draw them unto yourself. That today would be the day that they open up their heart to you, to follow you, to live for you. God, I pray for each one of us. Maybe some of us have known you for a long time, some for a short time. But we would understand today that you have a plan for us. You have a purpose for us. You have a mission for us. And that today we would say, I'm all in. God, use me however you want to use me to fulfill that mission. In Christ's name I pray, amen.